Hey guys, welcome to our podcast at the Clemson Foothills Church. We're glad you're here. Join us as we discover what the Bible says about Jesus loving God and serving each other. Feel free to visit our website at clemsonfoothills.com and find us on Facebook at Clemson Foothills Church. At CFC, we're just a group of people following Jesus and helping others do the same. So hopefully this podcast will be useful to you. Now let's dive into the episode for this week. First um, Timothy chapter 2, you can go ahead and turn there in your Bibles. Uh, we're moving right along through First Timothy. We're still talking about this journey, right? This journey towards spiritual maturity and and as we get into, um, so uh, September, so this is the ninth month. I always kind of mix that up a little bit. I'm like, when is the ninth month? We're in it. It's September. As we get close to the end of the year, obviously our journey doesn't end December 31st, okay? Um, but hopefully um, over the year, if you've been paying attention to this, that your mindset has been like honing down um, what began, I think, in January is a fairly overwhelming like beginning of, wow, what is spiritual maturity? What does it look like? And, and where have I maybe fallen short? Where have I not understood? Or where am I looking at my life and seeing all kinds of things that need to be changed? And then hopefully over the year, like honing it down a little bit more and a little bit more. And as we get closer, I think we're going to see one thing that continually is going to stand out to us is the highest, the highest, um, metric of spiritual maturity is how well we love. That's the highest metric of spiritual maturity. It isn't uh, having more insight or understanding or any of those things, but how well are we loving God and how well are we loving the people that he's put into our lives, right? The people right around us. I think sometimes it can be really easy to think, man, there's, there's people elsewhere that, you know, that's where... Christians are needed and all these things. And God is like, no, I know exactly where my people are, right? And we have this call. And so hopefully um, it becomes more and more simplified that we begin to ask ourselves the questions, how well am I doing in my love for God and my love for people? First Timothy chapter 2, again, we've been talking about this. If you've read ahead over the next couple of weeks, um, we're going to talk about some things that are really great things to talk about. There are going to be some things that, you know, when we spoke pre-COVID, I mean, one of the, there was a whole lot of things that COVID kind of messed up. The, the one thing that COVID kind of jumped right in the middle of was we were doing a lot of classes on gender roles. We were doing a lot of classes on sexuality and these things. And um, Paul doesn't shy away from these things. Um, but for today, uh, we're going to be right here in chapter two. We're going to read the first uh, seven verses or so, just to keep in mind like where we're talking about. So Paul, in this letter, right, I, I, I would hope that you share a love for maps that I have, okay? I love good maps, okay? Um, and part of the reason why, and, and hopefully we buy into this, is um, everything we're reading in the Bible has to do with real people at real places at real times. And we're reading about our brothers and our sisters, and we're reading about... and. Um, one of the things that will help our heart be connected, we are always more connected to things we're familiar with. 
right? And so part of that is is when the the world of the first century church, when it's just like, man, I don't get it, I don't understand it, it's so strange, and I don't know, is then it may seem really weird that that getting into like a map and really understanding like in the book of Acts, like where they're going and what that's like and getting a visualization of that actually will help us connect to our brothers and sisters and what's going on. And so, yeah, so he's right here. He's writing. Paul is in prison right now, okay? Not not in a cell prison, but he's in under house arrest and he's writing this letter to Timothy. And Timothy is right here in, in Ephesus right here. So across the... The sea from Athens right here, there's Italy if you want to get your bearings a little bit. Here's modern-day Turkey, right, Jerusalem down here. So it gives you just an idea. Uh, you know, there's, there's some of you in here, you're asleep already, right? I've already lost you. You're already, like, snoozing, right? You're like, oh, my goodness, this is so painful, okay? Um, but just this is the fun thing for me is the little thing I just love to do, okay? Um, but the Ephesian church is really fascinating is they were on the brink of absolute chaos. Okay, if you remember in Acts chapter 20, when Paul was leaving and he told the Ephesian elders, man, there's going to be some from among your number who are going to be like wolves, okay? They're going to come in and they're there already, all right? And so you have leaders who potentially already are or will be come like wolves among the brothers and sisters in Ephesus, okay? Is you have a group of Jewish false teachers. You have the cult of Artemis, okay? And that's something to read up on. We'll hit on that more as we read through First Timothy. And then you have this guy who was emperor at this time, and his name was Nero. And Nero was just a mess. Nero was, was ruthless. He was violent. He was vile. He was... Um, just there, just in so many ways, just evil encapsulated. Okay, and so you have all of these things going on, um, and so this is the culture that Paul is writing to. This is the culture that Timothy is living in right here. Okay, so um, just to have a little bit of an idea, let's go ahead and read, uh, starting in verse one, First Timothy chapter two, and this is what he writes. He says, first of all, then I urge that petitions." And prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving be made for everyone, for kings and for all those who are in authority, so that we may lead a tranquil and quiet life in all godliness and dignity. This is good, and it pleases God, our Savior, who wants everyone to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there's one God and one mediator between God and humanity, Christ Jesus himself, human who gave himself a ransom for all, a testimony at the proper time. For this I was appointed a herald and an apostle. I'm telling the truth. I'm not lying. And a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and in truth. So we're going to stop right there for now. Um, and so a couple of things. And, and part, of, part of what I'm hoping to do as we're going through this um, isn't to just give you an exhaustive account of these seven verses, but hopefully equip us. So as we're going through our week, we're paying attention to the things that were important to Paul as he was writing to Timothy, because we have to remember one thing is that when we're reading the Bible, something can't mean, like a verse can't mean to us what it wouldn't have meant to the original hearers. 
And, and that may sound weird, except so much of our current popular Christianity is actually based on that. It's based on the idea of it means something strangely different to us today. We come up with new meanings. So our beginning, our first step is always to draw out, so what did the original hearers hear? What did Timothy hear when he read this? What did the Ephesian church hear? And so remember last week or two weeks ago, prior to Pretty Place, we talked about Paul telling Timothy, like, hey, make sure that the teachings are, are solid, right? That they're Jesus' teachings, that they're not teachings of men, that they're not. And so he's giving Timothy this charge to, hey, man, make sure that gets taken care of, okay? And then he goes into chapter 2 and he says, now, first of all, first of all, I urge that petitions and prayers and intercessions and thanksgiving be made for everyone, for kings and all of those who are in authority, okay? So just being thoughtful about this, um, when you look at a church that really truly is on the border of chaos and you have these false teachers coming in, and, and if you have any idea of a false teacher, right, I don't want you to picture, I don't want you to picture somebody walking up here right now and like spewing all kinds of like, you know, false, false, you know, beliefs and all these things. I want you to think behind the scenes. All right. I want you to think in the home. I want you to think in a small group. I want you to think people who are just going up and saying, hey, Lucas, come here, man. I want to talk to you about something. You know, I don't know. I mean, do you really think Jesus is alive? He lived. He was human. Really? I don't know about that. Maybe we need to talk to some people. about. And then you get these teachings, and they always happen in the dark, and they happen in secret, and they happen in... And can you imagine how out of control, like how do you stop something like that? Okay, when you're thinking of it, how do you stop that when you're going, man, there may be folks in the Ephesian church in different small groups and man, they come from a, a just a Jewish background that is teaching the wrong things. Again, the Gnostics, again, you may have folks and there really was in Ephesus, people who were converted who had been worshiping in the temple of Artemis. And to them, and we've talked about this before with Corinthians, to them, there was a sexual aspect of worship. There was, and, and we're going, whoa, what? That would be so weird, okay? Not, listen, they aren't people that lived in our time, okay? Like the worship of Artemis was real and a big deal, and they went all out for this. And so could you imagine somebody going, hey, like we're getting together as a church, like, Man, why is, why is there no like sexuality? Why is there not like, why are we worshiping this way? And you have again, all of these things. And I know as a church leader, you wanna, you wanna be like in control. How do we lock this thing down? How do we keep people from all of these things? How do you do this? Okay. And then you see Paul and instead, instead of him telling Timothy, right, go and make sure that every, he says, here's the deal, Timothy. I want you to teach. I want you to make sure the teachings are sound. But, but I get this. You, you can't be everywhere all at one time. So first of all, this is what I want. I want to urge you, which, which truly means I want to firmly, like, admonish you about this. Okay. That's what they would have heard, right? Is I want to firmly admonish that petitions and prayers and intercessions and thanksgiving be made for everyone. All right. And if you're, you know, and you're going, but what's the difference between a petition and a prayer and an intercession and a thanksgiving? Hey, there's sometimes in people's writing, there's just kind of a rhythm that you get going on. To a certain degree, there's a similarity to all of these. 
And maybe a little bit of nuance, okay? Like oftentimes petitions has to do with, with an urgent petition for needs that we're feeling, okay? And then you kind of have generalized prayers, and then you have intercessions for, you know, what's going on outside of us, and obviously prayers of thanksgiving and all of these things. And he says, here's the deal, for everyone, right? Are you, are you overwhelmed yet? For everyone, for everyone, okay, and, and, and I know a lot of us can think this way, you're going, I already don't have enough time to pray. I already can't even get through my prayer time. Like, I got a list of people, I already have a hard time getting through it. And here, here is the problem, and this is one of the things I felt like was so interesting, and I'm really loving to learn about this, is that, you know, if... If we keep trying, you know when you tr keep trying to get something to fit into something, and it just is frustrating over time. And I think for years what can happen is we've tried to make prayer. We want to pray always. We want to pray continuously. We want to pray for everyone and all of our brothers and all of the lost and all of the kings. And we try to like horseshoe it into like 25, 30, 35 minutes of prayer. Or... Right? We, we, we come up and we go, listen, let's everybody take three hours each day just to pray because that is what would be the, and, and, and you know what? There's some of you guys going, I got three hours. That's no problem at all. all right? And then, then there's a lot of us that are going, oh my goodness, three hours? Wow, that, that sounds exhausting. Okay? And I think, I think what we're being called to when he says here, like, first of all, I urge, this is like a big deal. There's a lot going on that, here's the interesting thing, is there's a lot that happens that we have no control over. All right? There's nobody in the world that can go, oh man, you know what? I think, uh, I think Michael, man, when he goes home, he's talking about all these other things, teaching like a false doctrine and all that kind of stuff. And so let's go and fix that. Listen. That is not Christianity. That's not what we're called to be doing of like following around every fire there is. But he's saying, here's the deal. Pray, pray, pray. Okay. And, and so here's what's helpful about that. In my mind, oftentimes, like circumstances have to be really good to be praying well. Okay. Number one, like I'll think, man, it, it, my prayers are always more heard. Like when I'm in a quiet place in the morning, like I like to kneel down and pray. Okay. And I'm like, yeah, and that's a wonderful thing. And I love it. Right. But there's this idea in my mind that's really strange. And maybe it's my age. Okay. Is this idea of going, okay, I'm praying and that prayer has to get somewhere. Like it has to get somewhere to God. And I know how big the universe is. All right, I get it. And in a weird, strange way, and I'm not saying this is my theology, but in a strange way, it's kind of like, I know God is huge, and he's everywhere, and he knows all things, but when I pray, it's got to get to him. And there's like a sense of almost like tension about that. Instead of this idea of, okay, if God is who he says he is, if the kingdom of God is here, if we have the Holy Spirit inside of us, if God is everywhere, remember, God is unembodied. He literally is everywhere. Then prayer becomes, man, the minute it comes on my mind, God is hearing it. Like I'm thinking more like emanating rather than sending. 
okay? And it's that idea of it becomes kind of like the fabric of just how we do life, right? It's this idea of going, oh my goodness, this just where my mind is can be in a constant state of prayer because I'm not constantly going, okay, let me put like a vacuum tube at a bank, you know? It's not like, okay, let me fill this one up again and send it. And oh, I got another one, let me send it. It's just, it's going through life living fully immersed in the kingdom of God. Okay, and just knowing that, man, as I put my mind to something, as I put my thoughts to something of just communicating and pointing it towards God, right, of just, man, whatever it is, and that becoming just everything about what we do. All right, and so he's saying, he's like, man, this has to happen, and it's made for everyone and it's for kings. So, listen, Nero counts here. And you want to know what's interesting is, is, is that Paul doesn't say, um, yeah, Nero, and then now let me give you a whole paragraph on how rotten Nero is. Like, he's saying for kings, and now let me tell you why Nero's rotten. Okay? He's not saying, which is something that we have a hard time with, is going, well, man, well, if we pray for people who aren't Christians or who are doing the wrong thing, or if we're interacting with those people, isn't the world going to think like we're accepting their behavior and all of those things? I'm like, man, come on, we've got to get kind of over that. Okay? So here's the interesting thing here is, is this acknowledgement by us being a people of prayer. Me and you. And I, I mean, constant like just emanating prayer out of us from what we see, understanding that the most important thing going on in our world is unseen. All right? Like we are walking through kind of the ether of the kingdom of God. All right? There's not like, oh, man, let me walk over here, and there's God. It's like, no, it, like uh, around us, in us as a disciple, okay? And this just acknowledgement of the kingdom of God and my own limitations, Right? So wherever I go, it's this idea of, okay, petitions and prayers and intercessions and all of these things for everybody, like interceding and needs and general prayers and people in authority, okay? And, and so that's really this thing here, okay? But then we get stuck, man. We, we get so stuck because it's like, um, and, and here's the one thing, man, I really appreciate this, is the number of conversations I've had and with brothers and sisters who are like, man, we have got like serious about like, let's, let's get rid of the politicization, uh, politicization. I don't even know if I'm saying the right word. Okay. You, you know what I'm talking about, right? <laughs> but let's kind of get rid of that and get back to what Jesus taught. Okay. So there's issues we're going to have convictions on that can't be Republican or Democrat issues. They're spiritual issues. Okay. And so again, I, I don't know how trained Everyone's mind is on right and left, you know, conservative and liberal, you know, uh, uh, Republican or Democrat. I don't know. But the thing is, is, is the repentance of coming back and going, man, everything is spiritual. Okay, let's, let's address that. And so, again, what can happen is when we see, you mean to pray for all rulers and we're going, man, you know, you know what's more acceptable, I think, in Christianity in general is that we have to have an opinion on why the current leader is ignorant and ridiculous. All right? You want the simplest way in the world, the simplest way in the world to be different than the world is stop popping off about the president. Okay? I don't, I don't care who it is. You, you know, if you're sitting there going, oh, I knew it. I knew Keith was a Democrat. 
No, man. Stop. Stop popping off about Trump. Stop popping off about Biden. Stop pop Stop it. I don't care about 9-11, what George W. Bush did. I don't care that you knew more than he did. Okay? Is pray, like, man, for those in authority. Not like, God, I'm really praying for President Biden that he doesn't. And then we, we can go off onto a prayer that really feels answered would just make my life easier. Okay, like it's not necessarily attached to the kingdom of God. But he's saying this, he's like, hey, pray for everyone so that, okay, those are, those are huge two words right there. There's a reason for it, so that this, we may lead a tranquil and quiet life in all godliness and dignity. Doesn't that sound great? I love that. Is this idea of, listen, pray. Always, just emanating prayer for everyone, for kings, for those in authority, for your boss, for your teachers, for everyone, okay? Again, it's so simple, so very simple to be different from the world because generally, okay, if you're in college, all your teachers are stupid, which is absolutely amazing to me, okay? So in college, there, if you're an authority or your principal or your vice principal or whoever your congressman is or something like that, it's so easy to go, hold up a minute. I'm praying for them. You know why? Because, listen, what's good is I want to lead a tranquil and quiet life in all godliness and dignity. All right? That's a little bit different than I've said it before, though, okay? Because here's one of the things that I have stuck with forever, okay, is the Christian church grew most when it was persecuted most. So there's been a side of the way I live and a side of my discipleship that's like, no, man, chaos and, all, and, and, and persecution is where the church is going to grow. But what's fascinating about it is, is that one of the reasons that Jesus came when he did was there was this thing called the Pax Romana, this Roman peace that allowed the message to disseminate through the world at the time. And there were roads, and there wasn't wars going on, and it had this ability to do this, okay? And so are we going to be persecuted? Yes. Is that a fertile time for the church to grow? Yes. All right? And at the same time, Paul is going, hold up a minute, pray for these reasons so that we may lead a tranquil and quiet life. Okay, so what does that mean, tranquil and quiet? Okay, everybody got a different picture in your head. Tranquil and quiet, okay? Very simply put, okay, it's that we would be undisturbed on the outside, like the world around us, and undisturbed on the inside. All right? So pray for your kings and all those in authority for everyone so that we may lead lives that are without disturbance, meaning like stopping us from being able to live out discipleship in Jesus, like praying for that, but also that there's an inner calm. He said this uh, tranquil and quiet life in all godliness and dignity. All right. He's saying here's the deal about that quiet and tranquil life is that it's about godliness and dignity, meaning a godliness means that we are so reverently involved and loving and worshiping God that there is a life change to that, that we are loving what he loves, that we're about what he's about, 
All right, that's godliness. And dignity is simply a life that's lived that is a life of honor. A life that's lived where people can't say, man, you know, anything. A, a life of blamelessness. Okay, a life where we don't have to be ashamed. He said, this is good, and it pleases God our Savior. He said, this is a good thing, okay? So you think about this, is, is when you think of the majesty and the magnificence of God and His glory, and it's just like all around us, okay? And it's just where it, the Spirit is inside of us, and He's saying, could you imagine when God says, this is good, Okay? The amount of like, I just, I'm thinking about that and I'm going, this isn't just, this is like energetically good. This is like, this is something that is touching on our senses good, okay? And so it's, yeah, it pleases God who wants everyone to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth, okay? <laughs> Some of us, maybe not that commercial, but you thought, you know what quiet and tranquil is? The fine life. That's quiet and tranquil. The beach, the ocean. Oh my goodness, can you imagine? If you're not a beach person, the mountains, lakes, it's quiet. You know, you wake up in the morning, you have time to just sit there. Man, the weather's perfect. That's, that's what he wants. That's what he's calling us to, right? Isn't that what he's saying? He's like, this is what makes God happy. Is This is what he wants us to do. And and, and listen, I, I don't want to be the guy that preaches against that, okay, from the standpoint of like, no, God doesn't want you to be happy at all in your tranquility, <laughs> okay? I, I mean, listen, I've been there and done that before. It's like, you know, God wants a quiet and tranquil life, and then I'll continue for 15 or 20 minutes talking about everything but quietness and tranquility, okay? But what I do want to highlight to us is there is something inside of us, right, that can almost be like we're hearing the words, but we're thinking something different than what he's meaning. Okay? Are these things great? Is vacation great? Is going to the mountains great? Is going to the beach great? Oh, that's awesome. We've got to have it. There's time for leisure. There's time for vacation. And, and, and that's an awesome grace of God. Like that is absolutely fantastic. But being careful that the original hearers of this wouldn't have heard like, man, cruise. For a lot of reasons, okay? But they wouldn't have thought of that, okay? <laughs> that's just low-hanging fruit you're going to get. Okay, that's not what they would have thought, but what they would have heard is, man, God wants us to live this life that's undisturbed on the outside and on the inside so we can fully express our godliness, so we can fully live into being a disciple of Jesus, so we can fully embrace this absolutely wonderful, wonderful gift that God has given us through his Holy Spirit, all right? And so he's not talking about just these kind of things. He's talking about like everyday life of this idea of being able to go, man, that's what we want more than anything here, okay? But here's what Paul's underlying assumption is. And this is where I think Christianity can get kind of clunky for us, is when we are assuming he means something that he's not. Paul's underlying assumption is if you're a Christian, if you're a follower of Jesus, his assumption is you love him and his ways. You, you want to do those things. You want to participate in his ministry, 
He's assuming that the starting place is I want all of those things versus, uh, you know, and maybe you can relate to this. I've done Christianity this, this particular way before where Christianity can become one of those things where it's like, I just want Christianity to make my life better. Like it's a self-help thing. But really when it comes to like wanting what God wants, I'm not completely sold on, I'm in it for that. Okay, that, that almost seems like that's a drag a little bit, okay? But if, if our hearts, if we haven't been to this place and we really don't want what God wants, this is going to become so clunky and so difficult and so boring and so just frustrating, okay? And he says this, here's the thing, is there's one God and one mediator between God and humanity, and it's Christ Jesus himself, human, who gave himself a ransom for all, a testimony at the proper time. For this I was appointed, Paul says, a herald and an apostle. And he says, I'm not lying. And he said he's appointed a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and in truth, okay? So, again, as we start sandwiching these things together, something is pretty important for us to pay attention to in how he's structuring this letter, how Paul is structuring this letter. Do you remember back in chapter 1? Paul was saying, hey, Timothy, I want you to understand something. I'm the worst there ever was. If you think there's somebody worse, right, don't discount them. I'm the worst of sinners, and God has shown his patience to me to know that there's patience for people, okay? And so he's, there's this idea of going, you got to understand something. God wants all men to be saved, right? And he's weaving it into chapter 2 right here, but he's telling us, I want you to live a tranquil life and a quiet life. I want you to be able to express and live into your godliness and into discipleship in Jesus. I want you to, to do all of those things, and it's really easy for us to, like this little part of our brains, to become very individualistic, not just leisure-focused, but just this idea of like, okay, well, I'm not thinking of leisure. I'm just kind of thinking of just taking care of the people like around me and creating my own little community there. Okay? But then he said, but he's saying this. He's not talking about individualism. He's talking, he's giving this letter saying, as a community, this is what we do. All of us, all of us that are coming together to say, we're in the Clemson disciples everywhere. Who are going, no, 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 we see this as what we all do together, okay? Because there's one God and one mediator, one Jesus, okay? And there's this idea of this exclusivism. And, and, and I know, like, it's kind of popular in our world today to do all of these, like, gymnastics about, like, world religions and... You know, what about all these things? And But I think God is like, you know, involved in Islam and in Hinduism and in Buddhism and all these things, and it's just not the case. That's not something Paul ever taught. That's not something Jesus ever taught. That's not something God ever taught, right? So there's this exclusivism, and that's what gets kind of people in trouble. That's what gets us in trouble because you're going, you think you're the best. Like, what makes you greater than everyone else, okay? But here's the balancing act, okay? Is there's an exclusivism and an inclusivism at the same exact time. Because he's saying there's one that's exclusive. And he died for all. All right? It's not exclusive to get in, but it's exclusive as to who our focus of worship is and who did this, right? And so, again... When we're thinking about these things, and he says he gave himself as a ransom for all, we've heard the term like he wants all men to be saved, okay? 
is, is I think we need to really spend some time thinking about what does this actually mean? Because he's saying, as you express this stuff, I want my church to be about helping other people come to repentance in Jesus. I want my church to be about that, like leading this tranquil life and this quiet life and godliness and the dignity. I want it to have a, to produce something. And I think we have to think about, well, what does that look like? Okay, because again, when we start talking about things, it, it, it's really fascinating how many times we can evoke the word evangelism and how few times that word is used in the New Testament. All right? It's so easy to make, like, we want to make a program of something to give people information for them to make a decision, and that sounds fine. Except that's not making disciples either. That's not passing along to somebody what we already are experiencing in and amongst ourselves right here. All right? And so when we start thinking about this and we start thinking about the quiet and tranquil life, it, it really helps us to start thinking about, well, how well are we loving the people around us? How well, okay, when you start thinking about, um, about helping bring new people to become disciples, you know, it begs the question, rather than like going and doing some activity, who do I even pray for who's not a Christian? Is there anyone? Okay, this is where it's starting, okay? It's, again, so he's all about this. He's all about go and make disciples, go and make disciples, but not programmatically. So I think we have to ask ourselves this question as we do live quiet and tranquil lives here in the United States of America. Okay, as we, as we don't have Nero coming down on us. All right, as we are, we do have the ability to practice our discipleship and our godliness fully and freely to the world. Here we do. Okay, now you may go, but there's this one city over there in Minnesota that they don't let you do it. But we're not there. Right, that, that, that comment doesn't matter. We're not there. Okay, we're, we're here right now. And it's that idea of going, okay, Am I actually on the same page with God that he wants all men to be saved? That he wants us to be living this quiet and tranquil life that we're praying, that we're, he's urging us to be praying always for everyone, for those in authority. Like getting on the same page. Let me give you an example. So church gets kind of tough when it's a part of our schedule each week. Like, I go to church at 4 o'clock each Sunday. And what becomes kind of tough about that is then you have Tyler coming up here and leading a song about, like, you know, I'm in awe of you. Right? I'm in awe of you. And go, man, if I... If you ever ask yourself that question, am I? Like, what about this building at 4 o'clock makes me all of a sudden in awe of God? Like, seriously, I look around, I'm like, dude, I, I mean, the guy that built it, I mean, I don't even know if he was good at what he did. <laughs> you know? It, it, you, it, this isn't, like, awe-inspiring, necessarily, okay? And it's that idea of, again, and we hear it over and over again, but this may be the takeaway, right, is this idea of going, man, if I'm not an off God throughout the day, throughout the week, in awe of God about how he's working in my brothers and sisters' lives, in awe of God of the amazing graces he's given us, it's really tough to show up and go, okay, let me put it into gear really quick here and seeing, man, how I'm in awe of God 
right? And how wonderful he is and how amazing he is. Now, now I will say this just to be very clear. My, my point in saying that isn't like an assault on your intention. Okay, that's not it. It's not like, oh man, is Keith saying that I don't want to do it? No, no, no. What I'm saying is, is that we all have something in common is we get into this busy cycle throughout the week that becomes thoughtless, unintentional, and aimless, right? We get into that, and then we get perked up like, oh, it's sun. Oh, yeah, I'm a god. I'm an awe, right? And, and the call right here is that we're continually allowing ourselves to be transformed, right, into this person. And the way that happens is this emanation of prayer and praise and worship and all of these things that's just becoming a part. And again, that doesn't mean your circumstances will be easy. They in many times aren't. Okay. G.K. Chesterton said this, okay? He said, the Christian ideal has not been tried and found wanting. It's been found difficult and left untried. Okay? And, 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 and I would put that into this case as we're talking about prayer, right? It is, the truth of the matter is, is oftentimes the problem with prayer isn't that, like, we have all these questions that we can't figure out. It's that me and you aren't praying enough. <laughs> like, it's not a part of who we are. It's not that prayer is difficult to understand and we're so confused by it. It's the idea of we're just, it's very easy to disobey God. It's very easy to forget about that. So we're going to wrap this up here, okay? And I wonder what yours would be. These were three words that stood out to me as I was studying this out. All right, there are these three thoughts that kept coming into my mind about the idea of, am I willing to conform myself to what God and his design is for his church? Am I willing to hear this and to read it and listen to it and apply it and conform myself rather than looking at it and going, how can I make this conform to what I'm already doing? All right. Am I willing to do that? Am I really willing to take this admonishment that the Ephesians received through Timothy and go, you know what? This is a serious thing. This is, this is a kingdom lifestyle thing. So let me conform to this, right? Dependence is another thing, is the idea of one of the toughest things for me is I, I can become independent. Okay, here's, prayer is about dependence. Like constantly praying and not making something up, but going, man, I'm just limited. I'm limited to how I can speak. I'm limited into how I can be like, understood. I'm limited in my informational knowledge. I'm limited in so many things, right? And then allegiance of the idea of, of am I going to be allegiant to God in this kingdom or loyal? Right? That means no other kingdoms get any place here. There is no kingdom that comes close. There's no kingdom on earth that comes close. My loyalty and my allegiance. And so when I'm reading these things, these are things that are going to propel me into my week. These are words that are going to stick with me that I'm going to need to be praying about that are propelling me into my week. But hopefully you have some thoughts as well that's propelling you into your week from the standpoint of even thinking through consistently over and over and over again those words, I urge you, I urge you for, your, for there to be prayers and petitions and intercessions and thanksgiving for everyone, for all kings and all of those in authority, that it just becomes like what's on your heart consistently. So we're getting the feel for what Paul was writing to the Ephesians. And, and so that's part of like our, the week, right? It's just... 
by getting into that right there. And then just letting the Holy Spirit like question us, being obedient to the Word of God, reframing ourselves the way we look at our life. Maybe we're looking very selfishly and we haven't even considered the lostness of those around us. Right? And so that's where we want to take this today. So we're going to sing a song. We're going to sing one more song, Holding to God's Unchanging Hand. And again, as we think about these words, those are really good things, okay? Is that God is unchanging. That means that we can trust him, we can put our faith in him, we can follow him, that he's not fickle, he's not changing the way he feels about us, he's not doing any of those things, but we're going to sing that last song. But let me pray for us, and then we'll the singers will come on up. Thanks for joining us. If you'd like to learn more about us or have any questions, please visit ClemsonFoothills.com. You can also text Foothills to 94000 to stay up to date on everything going on here at CFC. 